Um, lovely to be here with you all. Um, and it's just lovely to see like, the, the group of people here. I've, I've been coming along here for a couple of years, I guess, um, on the occasional Sunday. So it's just great to see all of you. Um, today we're starting to look, I'm still, I'm slightly um, distracted by the youth having cheese toasties. That's not quite fair, is it? <laughs> anyway, we're going to have fun in here too. <laughs> we're going to be looking at the cross of Jesus. Um, and um, Ben read this beautiful, that beautiful passage from Isaiah 52 and into 53. And I think there's going to be three weeks of looking at the cross as we move into Easter. And it's this really famous passage, isn't it, um, in, in Isaiah, uh, remarkably prophetically written down 700 years before Jesus was born. If you go through it, the accuracy of the, of the things, the details that are in that prophecy, and then when you see them fulfilled in Jesus' life, it's, it's really incredible. But we're going to be looking at the cross, and, you know, we've got one home here. Anybody wearing one around their neck? Yeah, like it's a thing that is just around us, but do we think about what is it here for? What does it mean? What does it mean to us living in Forest Hill in 2023? What's the cross about? How does the death 2,000 years ago of a bit of a rogue preacher in an obscure Jewish town have anything to do with us? What is it that we're celebrating at Easter? So. Isaiah, in this prophecy, this amazing and beautiful prophecy, um, predicted the coming of a Messiah, and theologians kind of refer to him as the suffering servant. You know, he starts off with, um, my servant, where is it? My servant will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, and there are many who are appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. So he's this servant who comes and he's a suffering servant. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him in chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And I think this is a huge comfort to me anyway, that when God comes to earth, he comes as one who not only sees suffering, but he comes as one familiar with suffering. This is the miracle of the incarnation, that God, who created the galaxies and the earth and humans and everything that we see, that God subjected himself to all the joy and all the sorrow of being a, her a human. He understands you. And he knows what it's like to live on this planet. He knows what it's like to experience heartbreak and betrayal and disappointment. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Even things like poverty and homelessness were part of Jesus' lived experience on the earth. You know, he was a refugee as a child, wasn't he? A political refugee. And in the end, he was violently and unjustly executed. We can't say that our God doesn't understand anything that we're going through. He's lived a fully human life, and, and he came so humbly and so beautifully and subjected himself to that. This is what Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here we have Jesus who was in nature God, and yet relinquished that position and made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and then obeying his father by going to the cross to die for us. This is just love like we've never experienced, I think, love that doesn't exist anywhere else. This is God who says, I am above all, but I'm emptying myself to become nothing so that you can become something. Um, when, you, when you think of um, Jesus in John 13, right before he dies, it says, um, because he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God, so he knew who he was, because of that, he took a towel and he knelt and he washed the feet of the disciples. And that is how he comes to us today and now, to wash our feet, to wash off the crap, if I can say that, of life that we all experience. And this is what Hebrews says. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's encouraging, isn't it? If he started a good thing in you, he's going to finish it. Yeah, he's the author and perfecter. We're fixing our eyes on him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. What is the joy in that passage? For the joy set before him endured the cross. What do you think the joy is? I'm actually asking the question. <laughs> yeah? Ben has the right answer. <laughs> Anyone else out there? <laughs> Say it again. He was going to the Father. That's really good. And that's definitely part of it. He's like, I know who, where I've come from and where I'm going. Yeah, that's good. What else? What's the joy set before him? Wasn't being nailed up there, that's for sure. Healing our relationship. Love that. Healing our relationship with God. Yeah. You are the joy set before him. You, thinking about you, thinking about your life, thinking about your face, made Jesus go, I can do this. I can do this. I can endure the cross because I could win this one back to me and heal their relationship with my father. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Um, as I sat in my flat reading over this scripture in Isaiah, and it's one I know really well, I was just convicted in so many ways of the ways in which I turned from him all of the time in my habits and my decisions. You know, we think Adam and Eve, oh, they didn't listen to God and they went their own way. They thought they had a better idea. But actually, I do this most days. I choose convenience over obedience to him. I, over and over again, choose food over his love. I choose TV and social media over his still small voice. Over and over again, I do this. And Adam and Eve were drawn in by the attractiveness of that fruit, decided they knew a better way of satisfying their inner cravings, the cravings of their soul. And we've been this way ever since, I think. I think if you look at yourself, there are cravings in us, that's normal, desire in us, and we're stuffing things in. 
But Jesus is saying this in, in, in Isaiah 55, just a few chapters later, he says this, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Without money and without cost, come buy wine and milk. Why do you spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Come, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. And Jesus reveals himself in the New Testament as the bread of life, doesn't he? And when we have... um, communion we break bread this is how he said remember me I'm the bread of life and he's saying why are you spending your money and your time and your effort and your tears on bread that doesn't satisfy you I am the bread of life I am the one who's broken up broken myself for you eat of me and you will be satisfied with the richest of food and God knows and we all know that we are forever trying to stuff ourselves with bread that we think will satisfy us It might be education and a career. It might be relationships. It might be just the approval of other people. It might be addictions, um, socially acceptable and socially unacceptable addictions. And the things that we collect to make us feel significant and loved and filled up. But none of it overcomes that deep wound in the psyche of all humans that we are woefully and painfully separated from the God who formed us and loved us and made us for a relationship with himself. Augustine said many years ago, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every man and every woman that only Christ can fill. Do you recognize that vacuum in yourself? Are you aware of what you're trying to stuff to try and fill it up? I've become more and more aware of mine in the last few weeks. God's really been putting his finger on some things. And I see, I recognize the vacuum in myself through the way I behave. Why am I making myself so busy all the time? Because I think if I do a good job, somehow in my brain, I think if I do a good job, I'll be approved of and I'll be loved and it'll be okay. For me, yeah, I'm confessing my sins here this morning. For me, it's food and busyness and doing a good job and distracting myself and just general self-reliance. I hardly need God because I've got it all taken care of, thank you. Lord, forgive me. And here's the good news that Isaiah predicted. Jesus came to suffer and die and to make for us the most unfair exchange at the cross. Verse 4 says, I'm going to just read it again. Verses 4 to 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so he takes on himself in this wonderful exchange at the cross. He takes on himself our infirmities. That means our sickness. And I think that means mental sickness, sickness of the soul, sickness of the spirit, and sickness of the body. He says, I'm taking your infirmities. 
I'm taking your transgressions. That's a big old-fashioned word, isn't it? But it's every way in which we've decided, I'm turning away from God. I've got it myself. I don't need him. Those are our transgressions. He's taking our transgressions. He's taking our iniquities. And he's taking our punishment. He takes all of that on himself on the cross. And what's the exchange? It's a very unfair exchange, by the way. (laughs) Because what he gives us is peace, healing, and in verse 12, which I haven't read yet, justification. He makes us righteous. We're invited to come to the cross and we're invited to lay down the guilt and the shame of the things we've done wrong and the guilt and the shame of the wrongs done to us. It goes both ways. Sometimes we're unwell in our spirit and our soul because we've been sinned against, because we've experienced trauma, because we've experienced oppression and injustice. And sometimes it's because of the things that we have done wrong. But we're invited to the cross to come and lay all of it down and to receive his righteousness instead. We come here and there's an exchange. I give him all of my rubbish and he gives me all of his goodness. Um, There's a little bit in Hebrews 10 and it's a bit of a chunk so I won't read the whole thing but it's talking about how Jesus was like the priest, the high priest who goes in and makes amends between God and people. He says, by this one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This gave me some encouragement this week. He's made us perfect forever, but we're still being made holy. Does that make sense? So when we come to the cross, we are instantly completely forgiven of anything we've done wrong. And the terrible sin against the the, the rubbish that's been put on us by the sin of others is taken. But we are also being made holy. We are being made more in his image. And those places where we're trying to fill that vacuum that can only be filled by him and his love, he, he begins to show us those things and to remove us those things. So by his one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And this is what he says. This is the covenant I will make with them, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That's good news. He remembers no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So this is where we don't have to beat ourselves up or try harder. He just says, the sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because I've cleansed you and I don't remember it anymore. So we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is what we're invited to. We're invited to come and lay it all before him and be completely cleansed. We're invited to come with those areas of our lives where we're stuck. Does anyone have stuck areas or is it only me? Those areas where we keep doing those things over and over again. And we know it's not good for us. I know I should sit and talk to God rather than watching some trashy thing on Netflix. I know that. It's not a sin, per se. But it's not feeding that place in my heart that needs him. And we're invited to come with all of those places and say, 
oh, I actually have a big hole in my heart that needs love. Could you come and fill it? Netflix isn't going to do it, <laughs> unfortunately. But he is. And he comes, and through the cross, he says, you can come completely. Whatever rubbish it is that you're coming with, bring it all. I see you, and I love you. What do we want to exchange at the cross? Sorry, this is a little bit of a mess here. What do you want to leave there? And I'm going to invite us a bit later to come up, actually, to this cross and do a bit of an exchange. Leave some things there and receive his goodness. What do you want to take from him instead? Is it forgiveness for sin that you want? Is it health instead of sickness? Is it acceptance instead of rejection? Or is it joy for mourning? Is it healing for trauma? Is it hope instead of disappointment? Is it his righteousness instead of your own? Is it peace for your guilt or belovedness instead of shame? What is it? that you want to exchange with him. He offers it all to us because he won it all when he obeyed his father and died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Isn't that amazing? He becomes sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's what C.S. Lewis called the deeper magic, because it is kind of magic when you think about it. I mean, how? How is it that he, perfect God, comes here, becomes sin for us, and then says, you become as righteous as me. You become my righteousness. This is what um, C.S. Lewis says in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When Aslan, do you remember the story? Edmund um, betrays, Edmund becomes a traitor. And the deep magic was that um, because he was a traitor, the witch had the right to kill him, yeah? And then Aslan said, though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, then she would have read there a different magic. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Jesus suffered and died and took our punishment upon himself, but he also rose from the dead. Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though, he may, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Who's that? Yeah, it's us. He will see his offspring, the joy set before him, and prolong his days. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So our God is not only one who knew suffering, was familiar with suffering, but overcame it, overcame death. Um, we've got a little video clip. Could we just watch it?
amazing <laughs> willingly sacrificing himself for us and then overcoming death overcoming everything that we experience as humans so that when we come to him with our brokenheartedness with our disappointment with our stuckness he says I've got enough to fill you up I've got enough to completely transform you God's whole purpose is to restore us to our true identity as sons and daughters of God. So you see Lucy and, what's the other one called? Susan. Lucy and Susan there, you know, small, frightened children suddenly becoming part of the, the warriors, aren't they? They're going to go off to fight the battle and eventually they become the queens along with their brothers. And that's us. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the whole transformation and exchange on the cross is letting us come and lay down our false selves, our false identities and everything that goes with them and taking up our true nature, our true identity as sons and daughters of God, restored to the Father. So I'd like to ask, ask us to stand. And we're just going to have a time of waiting on the Spirit and listening to what God would say to us out of this. I just want to invite you to close your eyes just so you're not distracted by anyone else. And if you'd like to, just to open up your hands to say, Jesus, I'm open to you. Thank you for everything that you did for me on the cross. I'm open to receiving the love and the forgiveness and the freedom that you bring. And you might at the same time with your open hands say, look, this is what I'm offering you. My pain, my sickness, my sin, the injustice I've suffered, my broken family, the things in myself that I've tried really hard to change and I can't. Take a moment and talk to Jesus about it. Come Holy Spirit, we need you more. <coughs>
just feel like he wants to take shame and guilt off lots of us here. It's never from him. You're not meant to be walking in shame or guilt ever. of us are really weighted down by, by um, real injustice that we have experienced and that we continue to experience. <coughs> we can give him that as well. I think there are a couple of people who are um, struggling to forgive someone in their life and you're like, if I forgive, they're just going to do it again, so what's the point? I think Jesus is saying, you can offer me that pain. You can offer me that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that hatred even. Let me take it, because you're going to be lighter without it. I'm just going to invite some of us to actually come up to this cross as a symbolic thing. I know it's just a piece of wood, but as a symbolic thing of what Jesus did. If you want to kneel here and offer things to Jesus, if you want to just stand here and offer them to him, and make that exchange at the cross. Whether it's our disappointment, our despair, our depression, anxiety, our anger with people, or even anger with God, sins done against us, sins that we continually do, whatever it is. We're just trying to fix ourselves and make our lives work. We can surrender that to the God who loves us and died for us. So we can worship along with, with Warren as he plays, or we can come up to the cross and just have that beautiful exchange from Jesus whatever it is that we need. So just come on up now if you want to come to the cross and leave some things there. There'll be some people who can pray with you.